So I think, um, I think uh, there's more and more attention paid to people who are suffering burnout. I think there's a Harvard Business Review article as well um, that talk about uh, collaborative overload just a couple of years ago. It's happening a lot in the corporate space. And so, but yet I still think that we are at the early stage of companies and organizations who realize that their staff is not suffering from physical exertion, but is mental overload. Welcome to Digital Mindfulness. I'm your host, Lawrence Sampofo. On the show today, we're here with Bjorn Lee, co-founder of the mindfulness app, MindFi. MindFi is a mindfulness app that helps people to become less distracted, more focused and more resilient in dealing with everyday stress. You should listen to this episode if you want to understand the impact of an always-on lifestyle and also how the tools of mindfulness practices can help you improve the quality of your life. But first of all, welcome to Digital Mindfulness. For over three years now, we've brought you the best teachers and thought leaders to help you be your best self in a digitally distracted and hyper-connected world. If you're new to our show, then the best place to find out much more about us is to visit digitalmindfulness.net forward slash start, which has a collection of some required listening podcasts where we discuss everything from becoming more focused to habit building, cyberbullying, and much, much more. Okay, on with the show with Bjorn Lee. So Bjorn, welcome to Digital Mindfulness and thanks so much for coming on the show today. I'm really looking forward to learning more about you and particularly about MindFi. Thank you. Well, honored to be on the show. I've heard so much great things about it. So thank you. So, so Bjorn, I'm wondering... Let's let's start right at the beginning, and if you can tell the audience a little bit about yourself and also about MindFi as well. How did you come up with the idea, and what led you to create this app in the first place? Oh no, uh, sure. So I'm a, I'm a tech entrepreneur. I've been working with startups uh, since before I graduated and after as well. About seven years ago, I was on my first startup and I was uh, pretty overwhelmed. I mean, I just raised investment. Um, actually, actually, it was with uh, Google Ventures. <laughs> uh, that was six months after. And uh, I'm not saying that they were, that they were the ones stressing me out. Um, but I, I, had, I, had a good, I had a good buddy of mine who told me about this 10-day meditation retreat in India. And so I picked my bags uh, for my year-end holidays went there away for 10 days. It was crazy. This was back in 2011. And the retreat meant that I had to hand over my phone, my passport, any reading materials, and meditate for 16 hours from 4 a.m. onwards till like 9 p.m. It was, uh, it was brutal. I, I was, first few days were hard. And when I finished, I was like, wow, this is, uh, it was really, really helpful. I was very, very calm and zen out. Um, but I realized in the next few weeks or months to come, this was not sustainable. Um, you know, life just catches up with you, you know, and startup life especially is, you know, it's a pressure cooker. So I lapsed, I, I, I lapsed in my meditation practice. Um, and so fast forward two, three years later, this is like 2014, 2015, I began to pick up meditation again because like I was reminded because of my stress. My stress usually manifests as a sharp um, 
one second momentary chest pains. And so that was a good reminder that I should go back to meditation. And so again, I found, I wanted a different approach to meditation. And so a friend of mine, it's, um, well, it's more like an acquaintance to uh, this, this uh, the jolly good fellow at Google. Uh, he's a fellow Singaporean, Chen Meng Tan. He wrote this book called Search Inside Yourself, and he's credited for bringing meditation to Google. Um, I found that it was his approach was super simple. You just need to start with like one second uh, to learn to meditate and take a mindful breath before you sleep. And so that got me practicing. And uh, last year when I took a sabbatical from my previous job at Zendesk, uh, I decided that I wanted to go deeper and figure a way out to bring meditation to the masses. Um, and so that's how I came up with the idea for my part. Gosh, Bjorn, that's really interesting. So it was really your burnout and your experience of startup culture that led you to want to create a better environment and, and better health practices for people more generally. I, I would say Search Inside Yourself opened my eyes to a much more convenient and practical approach to mindfulness. Um, you could do it with your eyes open. That was the, and you could do it during your daily life. That the informal nature um, was the big revelation for me from Search Inside Yourself. That's fascinating. So before all of this and before Search Inside Yourself, um, did you have a regular practice of your own that just lapsed or was this all completely new to you? Before Search Inside Yourself, no. To be honest, I, I went for the 10-day retreat and I tried to meditate one hour every day after that. Um, it's the Vipassana technique, but it's just so hard. I try and sit down for like one hour, then went up to 30 minutes, and so I lapsed for about one or two years. But after I learned Search Inside Yourself, I can pretty much proudly say that I meditate for at least five minutes per day. Um, and some, on some days when I feel that I need more, I actually go up to 10, 20 minutes. Right now I have, uh, I would say I, I will have a, if you tend to think in terms of coverage, I have a 70, 80% coverage of, uh, at least a 10 minute meditation per day. But I also take, um, when I, when I go about my daily life, I, I do all this informal meditation that could be just a few seconds long to maybe say one or two minutes. Like if I and entering a meeting, let's say before having this Skype call with you, I will just maybe just be all more observant of my breathing, of my environment, where I am right now, checking my mood. Am I frustrated? Am I too excited? Do I sound um, over? Uh, do I do I sound wrong before I go to a meeting or you go to a call? And maybe say when I'm having a meal, I try to observe people around me when I'm on the subway. Um, in the, in the train, the tube, the, the way you call it, I would try to, you know, like, uh, it's always a good reminder to see that so many people on the train these days, so many people on the train these days are just holding on to their phones, right? And so if you actually look up from your phone, it's pretty insane, man. Um, you see so many people there, and I mean, I'm a big Walking Dead fan, all right? Um, <laughs> I'm not saying they are zombies, but I totally am. <laughs> But it, it reminds me to say, hey, you know what? Let me put my phone down, right? Let me put my phone down and do that. And I, I did that because last year this time, last, last year I was traveling around and I, I thought this was just a phenomenon in like uh, San Francisco where I used to live in Singapore. But I was in London as well, right? And I was like, and I was in uh, Iceland. I was even in Iceland. And I realized that whenever people have time, they're fishing up their phones, right? 
So when I took holiday last year, I realized that I should be doing a startup around this. How can we get people who are so tethered to their phones to learn to, you know, live with, uh, to learn to, you know, like deal with it, right? I, my, my approach is not that we should throw away the phone. I think we should, because it's not practical uh, in a short term, right? We should try to use, the, because the phone is just the medium, right? Um, but the medium, I mean, like it has almost become the message in a way, right? Um, I think this is, um, this is a very famous book, uh, The Medium is a Message. Uh, I think we can actually repurpose the medium to send out a more positive message. So that is uh, what I was going for and uh, the driving idea behind my current startup, MyFile. That we should try to build something that is, we should try to build an application, for example, that taps on existing users' user behavior, makes minimal tweaks, and gets people to you know, experience their daily life in a slightly different way with minimal changes and so the experience, the transition from a very distracted life to a more mindful, attentive life is, uh, is, is, uh, is smooth and is, uh, is, is frictionless. It's, it's really, really interesting, um, this whole perspective. And, and I really want to dive in more about what your, not about what your motivation was, but I guess more about what this whole thing that you were saying, you were saying how people were... Um, were just glued to their phones and it was this addiction you know that people have to their phones or people compelled to look at their phones that this is what brought you out and thought actually I need to create a startup um, around that but of course once you start thinking about that then of course you there are lots of um, other competitors in the space right you know huge yeah. pe- huge organizations like Headspace like Calm.com so Absolutely. so I'm I'm wondering. So when you when you first had the idea for Mindfire, were these organisations around, or how did you think you could innovate in this space? So when I started looking at this space more seriously last year, I was unaware that um, Headspace was the was the leader in the space. I know about Calm. Uh, I I actually met the founder once. Um, I, I I I like Calm. I I tried out Headspace as well. I tried out a few other apps. Um, I actually paid for Headspace too, so I'm a paying. I'm a paying you. I'm a. I was a paying customer. Uh, I tried their Take Thirty programs. Uh, by far, I think Headspace is um, uh, is one of the better apps out there for sure. I I started only looking at the space when uh, when I thought of doing an app, and I was shocked. I didn't know meditation was such a big industry right now on the app store. I. I was. I began to, you know, think that maybe my idea wasn't that uh, novel or unique. And but I pretty much realized that even though there's so many meditation apps out there, they really um, neglect one thing, right? The the steep learning curve. The steep learning curve of a distracted smartphone user, right? Distracted, addicted, you know, and so on. Going from that to someone with a regular practice, it's, it's not easy. The learning curve is very steep. You're asking somebody who sits, stands or sits on a train, looks at a phone for about four to eight hours per day, um, right? And then asking them to switch from that where they are receiving mental stimuli, you know, the entire time their minds are awake, except for the time they're sleeping. What you're really talking about is somebody who, if you, let's say you sleep seven hours per day, for the other 17 hours, 
you are in a cloud surrounded by all this data and information and stimuli running through your brain. It's very difficult to go from there, your status quo, to sit down and close your eyes, which is the format that almost all the other meditation apps actually advocate. Right? You are distracted, you are going about, your eyes are open, you are receiving stimuli, your mind is so used to it, which is why we subconsciously reach for our phones all the time. You're asking that to switch to, okay, you know what? Gently close your eyes, find a quiet space, and sit down. That format is so inflexible. It's not very practical, right? So I think the learning curve, you're asking people to almost jump off a cliff in a way. Because, and so most people's experiences with meditation is the formal, standard, traditional type, right? Um, and so my approach is more, hopefully more gentle. I don't ask them to close their eyes at the start. I ask them to learn to bring awareness, to bring attention to things around them. So they could be sitting in an office room, office space, and I'll ask them to be mindful about the chair they're sitting on, the laptop they are looking at, or actually hold your phone and flip it around, don't look at the screen. Be mindful of, be like really pay attention to how your phone looks on the flip side. When was the last time you looked at it, right? And then it even extends to things like, uh, you know, obviously your walking meditations, but also when you're in the restroom, when you're in the toilet, right, sitting on the throne. Um, that is actually a great time. <laughs> It, 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 it makes people chuckle. It really cracks people up, right? It's, uh, people have a go at it. Uh, and like in the restroom is a perfect time. There's so many things you could meditate and you could be giggling to yourself. And, but it's, it's such a private environment, right? Um, so we, we use practical daily objects and we teach people how you can turn them into an object of meditation, an object of mindfulness. Because hopefully with such things, then we can slowly graduate you to say that, okay, well, now you have trained your attention with an everyday object for a few minutes. And slowly we will get you onto this syllabus, this curriculum to say, well, start off, gently start off and now close your eyes, find a regular position. But the thing is that people are always gonna have more time in their day to open their eyes and be mindful and be attentive to an everyday object rather than finding a quiet space, cross your legs, sit down and close your eyes. That's really, really interesting. So. So gosh, so I mean, it seems that you've had incredible success with, with I guess, adopting a mindfulness practice. And I'm wondering, from the people that you've um, used MindFi with, what has the result been? Like, what has the feedback been from people that have used the app? So MindFi at this point is still in, in uh, what I call a stealth uh, mode. So we haven't really done any marketing. We're preparing for a launch, um, hopefully in the next one month or so. Um, we have done a lot of private sessions inside companies, um, within, um, some big companies, within schools as well, some brand names, some top schools. Um, it's, 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 it's very novel for people to learn that it's other branch of, um, of, uh, mindfulness. And so people are requesting for some pretty interesting things. Um, actually I didn't have a restroom track at first. Uh, it was requested from one of the one of my testers who suggested that hey um, you know why why stop at walking and meditations and um, uh, meditations that teach me how to be mindful by my phone uh, they gave me ideas like how, teach me how to be uh, meditate in the toilet 
uh, with my eyes open. Teach me how to be mindful when I'm scrolling Facebook. And so we actually have a track. Uh, as you scroll Facebook, it's the same technique, right? You scroll through Facebook, we blaze through maybe 10 articles per minute. But what if you look at one article slowly? So we have a track for that. Uh, so people are giving us very creative suggestions. There's one guy, he's a, he's a friend of mine, co-worker. Um, he's, uh, we have a track for families. And then he said, hey, you know what, Bjorn, I'm single. Why don't you have a track for me, you know, to, um, to, uh, to uh, you know, like, uh, to, that can relate better to me as a single person. Um, so they are giving a lot of suggestions. We are getting great feedback. People are coming up, but are really showing the creative sides of themselves. I mean, to talk more generally, I think about about the industry. So, like you know, we we were talking earlier before about how there are lots of different uh, mindfulness apps and how um, mindfulness has probably never been more popular than it is right now. But I'm wondering, where do you think the I guess not so much the industry, but do you think then we're le- we're leaning towards a more mindful society in general, and that technology is going to facilitate this? Um, or do you think something else is happening? Do you think people are just, I think, becoming more aware of their health more generally? I think people have um, are, have always been quite aware of their health. Um, but I think there's a lot more attention in recent years, especially with the rise of, of mindfulness and meditation, to mental health um, and mental wellness. Um, this is definitely more prevalent in the, in the West rather than um, here in Asia where I am based right now. Um, I think people are beginning to understand there's a difference between health, mental health and mental wellness. So I do think that we hopefully are moving towards a more mindful society. And it's, I, think, I think there's a, lot, there's a convergence of multiple ideas that makes us more cognizant of, um, you know, our, our minds as well and uh, what makes us human, right? I, I like to look at this in a, at a higher level to say, what really makes us human? Because there's a lot of talk these days about artificial intelligence too, right? And as you, as, I mean, you wake up every day, you see the latest news about, you know, uh, DeepMind, AlphaGo beating and yet another Go champion, um, you know, trying to take on StarCraft right now, you see robots being invented and so on. I don't know how this impacts the everyday Joe or Jane on the streets, right? It's, uh, they are looking at the same thing. We in the tech industry obviously are more aware, uh, but I talk to some of my family members, I talk to friends. I think people are now, you know, like um, trying to, you know, grasp technology because it's so so. It, it, it's, it, it's so pervasive in our life right now. So they are then thinking, well, how much time am I really spending on my phone, right? Um, it's, there's, al- there's almost this turning point, this inflection point, whereby someone has worked so hard in their lives and they realize that they are so, they, they, they need to come up for a breath of fresh air, right? Uh, whether it's a burnout, like I did, um, whether it's a medical episode, um, once they have crossed that, they become very, they become huge proponents and supporters of, um, you know, things like yoga, meditation, mindfulness, or just exercise. So I think, um, I think, uh, there's more and more attention paid to people who are suffering burnout. I think there's a Harvard business review article as well, 
um, that talk about um, collaborative overload just a couple of years ago. It's happening a lot in the corporate space. And so, but yet I still think that we are at the early stage of companies and organizations who realize that their staff is not suffering from physical exertion, but it's mental overload, right? It's new, right? Workplace experience teams, wellness, you know, departments and so on, are, they, have, they, have, they have been aware of uh, meditation and classes and mindfulness for a while. But I think there's this groundswell of bottom-up um, support and interest right now to say, hey, I'm not just satisfied with one class. Um, is there something we can bake into our process? What I would love to see, Lawrence, what I would love to see is teams, departments, you know, uh, organizations really, you know, like uh, taking on mindfulness and structuring programs within their workflows every day, right? You know, we, we see all these uh, tools like Slack, right? Changing team workflows whereby, you know, a remote team of five to six scattered across the, the world or region are reorganizing their work processes around Slack and messaging, the way they communicate. I would love to see, right, the next phase of mindfulness, may not be called mindfulness, but it would be how people, how teams, bake in uh, mindfulness into their daily workflow, right? How can we maybe say, you know, uh, allow for teams to learn to power down together, uh, take a pause, allowing um, an engineer to maybe say use a Pomodoro technique and um, you know like uh, and, and make that as a key core metric within their within their daily work, right? Um, how are, are there more you know techniques that can improve their wellness, right? Productivity tips, hacks, meditation, meditation apps, classes, and so on. I think Bjorn, that's a really that's a really excellent point, and um, and particularly for those um, people who listening now who are not based in Asia. Of course, you're based in Singapore. Um, this is just really enlightening to just know what's going on there and what your perspective is. But I'm wondering because you spent so much time um, in Singapore, sorry, in um, Silicon Valley, and of course you're based in Singapore. Um, have you noticed any differences between the cultures in terms of burnout, um, online burnout as well, and different approaches to overcoming it? Yeah. Um, to be fair, I, I was mainly based in Silicon Valley, and um, that may not be fully representative of America, <laughs> uh, which applies too to Singapore, uh, which may not be fully re uh, representative of uh, the whole Asia, which is huge. I've also worked in Vietnam and China before, um, and I do a lot of traveling to speak at conferences, Thailand, Vietnam, Indonesia. Um, what I do see is that what's unique about Asia as compared to America is that in private circles, people know the problem, but they don't talk about it in public. That's one. So there's this very private versus public awareness issue that we need to penetrate uh, where mental wellness or mindfulness is involved. Um, because what it means is that companies and organizations, especially the more localized they are, the less global, the less globalized or the less interna internationalized a Asian company is, the less likely they are to talk about wellness, meditation and so on, right? It's, it's very stereotypical as you can imagine. Um, 
On the other side, I think uh, in Asia, the, the work culture is much more intense compared to America. Um, people are overclocking. Uh, there's a, a, a lot more stress um, um, of a different nature, um, maybe perhaps due to work culture, social culture as well uh, within Asia, right? So it's um, there's, there's so there's that micro environment of the person, the 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 company they work in, and then there's also the macro environment, right? Which is the fact that the the in many countries, I think uh, people just expect you to put in long work hours, right? It's about the quantity that you work. It's not so much about the quality, right? <clears throat> the quality it's uh, the is something that's more prioritized over in America uh, in Europe. But the quantity is, uh, you know, way more highly priced, I guess, in, in uh, Asian societies, say, for example, Hong Kong, Singapore, Japan. You look at the OECD rankings, right? I mean, like, um, some of the fastest growing countries are, you know, mostly here in Asia, which I, 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 I haven't seen a stress chart or stress ranking. I'm sure it's somewhere out there. But I wouldn't be surprised to see most Asian countries top the charts for the amount of stress they self-report at work or life, right? So I think uh, those two those two trends are what would you know mark out Asia as a as a, the, the next tipping point, right? For uh, in terms of in terms of back to your question of whether you know are we moving towards a more mindful society? Thanks for that, Bjorn. That's fantastic. So where can people find out more about you and your work and connect with you? Yeah, no, we are available on Facebook. And Instagram, uh, we'll be ramping out our presence. You can just type MindFi, M-I-N-D-F-I, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or go to MindFi.co, um, and we'll be updating and posting more information over there once we launch. Fantastic. Well, Bjorn, thanks so much for spending time with us today. It's been a complete pleasure having you on the show, and good luck with the MindFi launch. I really enjoyed talking to you too, Lawrence, and um, thank you very much.